All right, good morning again. Glad to be here with you all today. We are going to continue in our Colossians series uh, that we started a few weeks ago. Uh, last week we took a brief break uh, as I kind of recapped our, um, our trip to, if I can get to Colossians, Philippians, Colossians. I got to sing the song sometimes too. All right. Uh, last week we took a quick break uh, to go over our Israel trip, uh, the exciting time that we had, but we are back today in Colossians chapter 1. Two weeks ago, Calvin was kind enough to fill in for me, and I really appreciate the words that he gave us a couple weeks about the allness about Jesus Christ in the 1 Corinthians 15 uh, section that you guys talked about last week. We're going to talk about that again, so it will be a brief uh, review uh, but today, as we kind of get started, I want to remind us of what the, in, in the intention of this entire series is based around, okay? This whole idea of full reconciliation, right? Full reconciliation being, uh, I don't have that slide up there, but being, uh, it's, it's later on, I guess, I forgot to put it at the very beginning, but redefining how we talk about reconciliation. Several weeks ago, we talked about how the world sees reconciliation as a return to this friendly agreement, friendly relationship, where we want to see reconciliation through the lens of Jesus. How Jesus has reconciled himself to us, his fullness to us, right? How that we can strive towards embracing that agape love and striving towards unity with Christ. A much deeper level of reconciliation. I think we need to be striving towards as Christians, not only recognizing how Jesus himself has been reconciled to us, but how we go from there to reconciling with others. So I want to reread this text this morning to kind of get our eyes and focus on this. I'll really dwell and meditate on these words this morning. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And as we read this, I want to remind you of the context that Paul is speaking to in this city, this church in Colossae, okay? This, this city doesn't remain today as it was in the first century where Paul is writing to this, but just to remind you of this place, they're known for their religious syncretism, right? This is a fancy word for saying they have a whole bunch of religions, you throw them into a pot, and you got a brand new one. you got a little bit of this, a little bit of this, you put it together, this is our religion of Colossae in a way. And not only that, but they were a very spiritual group of people. Uh, it is known that they probably had some, some sort of angel deity that they also kind of worshipped, an angelic shrine that they were to worship. So these people, like we talked several weeks ago, they have an idea of what spirituality is. Right? They are what we would call spiritual people, not unlike how we would probably refer to people today. There are definitely spiritual people among us that recognize a higher power, but not necessarily Jesus Christ. But Paul is writing to these people because although they are spiritual people and they, they're, they're worshiping these angelic um, deities, when they heard the message of grace and truth brought to them by Epaphras and they learned about who Jesus was, a, it's like a switch flipped in their minds, 
right? They went from having this religious syncretism to this religious understanding of who Jesus is, the grace and truth of Christ, and it changed, them for, changed things for them. Paul continues kind of this line of reasoning talking about the grace and truth of Jesus by talking about his bigness, right? Uh, last week, Calvin talked about, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Over all creation. Speaking to the power of all things. I want to reread this and put a little bit of emphasis on I know Calvin said this a couple weeks ago, but I want to root us back in this idea of this allness of Jesus this morning. For in him, let's read this where it's underlined. I want us to say it out loud, okay? Sound good? For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see this rhythm that Paul is introducing us to once again, this allness of Christ. I want to make a couple kind of determining factors here in how he's describing this and what it means for the church in Colossae this morning, okay? Like I said, we have this framework. These are spiritual people. And when they hear this, I'm looking at these words that Paul is using. He he first talks about these visible and invisible forces at play. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. When, When Paul's talking about these thrones and powers, he's not talking about a king sitting on a throne. The way that Paul describes this and the words that he's using, this is the invisible things he's talking about, right? The powers and, or excuse me, the thrones and powers, he's talking about these angelic forces that they might have an understanding of in their lives. All things, whether visible and invisible, talking about the things that you're worshiping right now, these thrones and powers of these religious things that you are uplifting right now, right? He has power over all of those things. And then he shifts gears and he talks about the rulers and authorities. That's when he kind of shifts from talking about these invisible things to talking about these visible things, right? These forces that might have their, you know, oppressive hand on you at this time, right? These rulers and authorities, these kings, these these authorities that that might have kind of, you know, political um, power over these people. Basically saying everything, right, the invisible and everyone, the visible, Jesus has power and authority over all of these things. All of these things are under the power of Jesus. And as I read and reread and reread this section, I kept kind of, and like I said at the very beginning of this series, whenever I'm kind of in a place where I might be searching for something, where I might be going through something that's kind of tripping me up, I like to return to this section of Scripture because it kind of centers my heart and mind on who Jesus is. It centers my heart and mind and saying everything is going to be okay, right? Like a weeks ago, he's got the whole world in his hand, and I happen to be in that world, and that's a good place to be. There's a centering factor to this, and as I read and read and read, the word that kept coming to my mind was sustainer. Jesus, the sustainer of all things. There's all this chaos in the world. We have a lot of bad things happening. Yet Jesus does have the whole world in his hands like that song. I'm not going to sing it this morning. But he does have these things in his hands and he sustains us. 
all things, whether visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all these things that might be going sideways in our lives, Jesus is above all that. And as I thought about the sustainer, as I thought about all this controlled chaos that's happening around us, I started to think about the Atlanta airport. Okay, just bear with me for a second. Some of you in here, might, you might feel a little sad thinking about the Atlanta airport, but maybe it's because I've been traveling a lot lately, but I have a great appreciation for the people who sit in these towers, right? Air traffic controllers are known as one of the most, uh, that, that position is one of the most stressful jobs anybody can have, right? I watched a, a video on YouTube about the air traffic controllers at the Atlanta airport, and it is insane. It's absolutely insane. At this airport, there's about 58 employees on a rotating schedule making sure the planes are flying and landing and departing in just the right places. Extremely chaotic. It's so stressful that the employees can only have two-hour shifts before they mandatory have to clock out for a break. They have to have their minds sharp. They talked about at one time an air traffic controller can be controlling eight flights. And they're hearing all this chatter back and forth because there's only one line of communication. It's a crazy, stressful job. At the Atlanta airport, they have 190,000 flights a year. And I was like, that sounds low in my mind for some reason. But then I thought the day-to-day counter, that's about 520 flights a day coming in and out of the Atlanta airport. It's one of the most busy airports in the world. And oddly enough, they have an 87% success rate of on-time arrivals and departures. That's pretty good. If there's a delay in Atlanta, there's probably going to be a delay in Rome, in, in, in Fresno, in all these other places because Atlanta is a hub for all these flights. And I, and I was watching the day in the life of these air traffic controllers, and it made me very, very thankful that there's people up there controlling all this chaos. Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I'm flying, flying can become a very, very self-centered uh, action, right? Where's my gate? When is my boarding time? Where's my $8 yogurt? Where's my $50 banana? Like, where, like, you know what I mean? And then there's a delay. It's like, oh, they delayed my flight. Now I got to find something to do. I got to spend more money. I got to do all these things. It becomes a very self-centered enterprise, right, of flying. And if you're mad about your delay, I want you to think for a moment about the people in this tower because it's not only your flight that's delayed, it's everybody else's flight and everybody hates them. (laughs) And it's usually not their fault. It usually has to do with weather. It has to do with the pilot. There's so many factors that go into it and they're just trying to convince all this chaos to work simultaneously. It's crazy. And so I think about the idea that they're sustaining kind of order in this chaotic situation. Absolutely chaotic. I saw a few clips of what, they, of what they see at Atlanta, and it's crazy. I'm very thankful that there's people that sign up for this job, and they do it well, for the most part. But there's employees out there, and they're sustaining kind of this, chaos, this chaotic semblance of, of chaos into a semblance of calm order. And you might be thinking, Jimmy, I know you did not just compare Jesus to the airport in Atlanta. I promise I'm not necessarily doing that because anything that we do that we compare to the sustaining power of Jesus is going to pale in comparison to the sustaining power of Jesus. But I I put forward this metaphor because this is exactly what Paul is doing in Colossians chapter 1. The exact same thing. 
He says, take everything that you have in your life. The rulers, the powers, the authorities, all those things that are high and above where you sit today. All of those things are under the authority of Jesus. All those things that look like control and power in your life are paling in comparison to the control and power that Jesus gives to you in your world. Everything. And so this chaos of, of Atlanta, how they're able to be efficient and effective, it pales in comparison to what Jesus is able to do. All powers in this world, nothing compares to the, the powers of Christ. All the efficiency of this great airport pales in comparison to the power of Christ. There's so much chaos in this world, and I want to say thank God for the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. The sustaining power of Jesus Christ. And, I, and as I thought about that, I was getting pumped up, man. I was like, man, thank you so much, Colossians 1, for doing this for me one more time. But then I started to think about the other side of the world. So I can be up here and I can, we can say, amen, yes, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. But the moment we say amen to that, we also have to think about the flaws that are happening within our world. We were talking this morning in the teen class about how sometimes Christians are labeled as hypocrites. You know why? Because Christians are people. And Christians are flawed. People are flawed. There's so many bad things that are happening right this second in our world. And we read Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Is there some dissonance there taking place? Is there an incongruency here? Because if Jesus truly has power and dominion over all these things, why are bad things happening right this moment? If you haven't thought about that, I don't think you're a human being. If you haven't thought about that, you haven't been a Christian for very long, I don't think. And I guarantee you there's somebody in your life thinking this exact same thing, and they're not sitting here this morning. They're far away from the church because they can't get those two things to be compatible. Right? Right? Why do bad things happen in the world if you serve a Jesus who says that he's over all these things? How can there be bad things? Is Jesus holding these things and making them bad for us? It's a very difficult question. I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the answer. I want to be up here saying I don't have all the answers. But I think there's something within this kind of dissonance, this tension that we're holding this morning that makes me see Jesus a little bit clearer. Because the question is that if I was talking to a non-Christian a non right now, they're going to say, okay, so if he's, if he's there over all these things, is he just absent? Right? Think about when Elijah was with the prophets of Baal, and the prophets of Baal were calling out to Baal, and he wasn't showing up. What did Elijah say? Is Baal on vacation? Is he relieving himself? Non-Christians can say the exact same thing to us when they look around and see all the chaos and disorder in this world. And sometimes we don't have a very good answer for it. And I'm not saying I have a great answer for it this morning, but I'm striving towards, I think, what Jesus is asking us to be a part of in our lives. Just for the record, I don't think the great sustainer is absent. I absolutely do not think Jesus is absent. But as we wrestle with this, I, I'm trying to reframe my mind into a way that I can kind of understand this more and clearly communicate it to a non-Christian in my life. I've been reading a book for the past like six months because it's a very, very weighty book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James H. Cohn. I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in the, in the topic of that, of that period of our history and the Christian response 
to this taking place. But James H. Cohn, uh, he, he writes this book, and his thesis for this book is he's trying to reconcile the liberation of the gospel with the black oppression that took place in our country and in his own life. That's a very big tension to try to resolve. But in the book so far, I'm about halfway through, he talks a lot about the hope that black people experienced during this, uh, this period of, of, of deep oppression during slavery, primarily during the time of where there was a lot of lynchings taking place within our country. And here's a quote. This is a quote. There is some strong language in this, so I, I do want to kind of clarify that. But this is uh, in conversation where he's, he's, he's giving a brief description, not a very brief description, but kind of describing the actions and the interactions of Miss Bradley Till, the mother of Emmett Till, the boy who was murdered by racists in Mississippi. He's talking about kind of this, this tension that is being experienced here between this hope of something that's going to come future, but this absolutely devastating situation that's taking place. I'm going to read this and see if we can kind of follow along here in our minds. Suffering always possesses the deepest test of faith, radically challenging its authenticity and meaning. No rational explanation can soothe the pain of an aching heart and troubled mind. In the face of a lynching death of an innocent child, black Christians could only reach into the depths of their religious imagination for a transcendent meaning that could take them through the deepest despair to a hope beyond tragedy. For Miss Till Bradley, the voice she heard was of the resurrected Jesus. It spoke of a hope that although white racists could take her son's life, they could not deprive his life and death of an ultimate meaning. As is the resurrection of the crucified one, God could transmute defeat into triumph, ugliness into beauty, despair into hope, the cross into resurrection. And as I read that last line, I'm getting Paul vibes big time, right? Building a bridge for us to understand something totally, totally off into something totally transcendent. The tragic loss this woman had to suffer, Emmett Till did not die in vain. But she was able to take his death, and like he, said, like, like he kind of puts here, as the, rex, as the resurrection of the crucified one, God could trans, transmute death into triumph. She was able to do the same exact thing for her own son. In the depth of her despair, where it looks like there is absolutely no chance for hope to have a glimpse of reality, they take this hopeless situation and turn it into a hopeful situation. I look at this as a father of children, and it tests my faith to think about what I would go through if my son was murdered in this way. I think about the hope that I probably wouldn't be able to find. Unfortunately, my mind likes to play tricks on me, and I think about what my life would be like without my family, and boy, does it look bad. I wonder what my faith would look like. I hope my faith looks something like this. Because I've never experienced anything like this. Some of you might have experienced something like this. But this, I think, talks about the power and the deep, uh, far-reaching power that hope in Christ is able to give you. What I'm trying to get at is that Jesus has power over all things. And I want to say dot, 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 especially over suffering especially 
over suffering. It's not just the powers that we see that are far beyond what we could control. It's, it's the things that we don't ever want to see that we still can't control. Jesus still has power over those things. God was able to take those things, ugliness into beauty, despair into hope, the cross into the resurrection. That's not supposed to happen. Dead people are supposed to stay dead, but not for Jesus. He has power over all things, absolutely. Especially death. You've probably heard this, these verses in your life at some point. This makes it very clear to me. This is Paul writing again in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure, talking about this faith in Jesus, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. If there is a thing that Jesus has power over, it is absolutely pain and suffering. I love this quote. For a second, it made me kind of question using it when it talks about religious imagination because it makes it sound like your religious is kind of imaginary. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was the perfect way to describe this hopeless situation. Because it takes a lot of imagination to think, you know what, Jesus still has power over this hopeless situation. It absolutely has to say, you know what, I am going to just rely on this faith that I read about and experienced in my life, and I'm just going to pray that this faith is real. In this hopeless situation, Jesus still has power, especially, I want to understate that as much as humanly possible, it's especially in our hopeless places, that is where Jesus is. That is where Jesus is. Never absent, possibly more present than ever when you are in your hopeless places. He intercedes, he sustains, he is the sustainer. And so you're saying, Jimmy, you still haven't reconciled. Why do bad things happen to to good people? Because we're in a broken world. But I I dare to think, I don't want to think about a world without Jesus. Because if it's bad now, could you imagine life without him? That in these hopeless places, Jesus is still able to say, I am with you even though bad things are happening. Because guess what? Bad things happen to me. I know the suffering of death. I know the suffering of a mother. I know the suffering of a friend. I know the physical suffering of a body. I know all these things. And you can guarantee I am with you when you're in those places too. We are a flawed people. And bad things happen. But that does does not mean that Jesus has gone away from you. He has power even in those places. So I want to take us back. There's my definition right there. I forgot to put it at the beginning. I want to take us back to this idea of reconciliation, full reconciliation. Accepting and embracing agape love and striving towards unity with Christ. To me, this is our only option. There's not a half option here. There's no halfway point. Either you're striving to be fully reconciled with Jesus or you're settling with the way the world is today. And if you're settling with the world, you're in for a bad, bad road. My affirmation to you this morning is to see how you can strive towards unity with Christ even while in a hopeless situation. Knowing that there is hope to be found through a Jesus who's been through absolute 
hope, hopelessness, and despair. He is in those places, and he is with you. He is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together, and all things definitely means he is with you in your suffering. So my question is, if Christ is the ultimate sustainer, if that's the basis that we are going to work from this morning, how can I live in reflection of that? We don't have time to talk about all the hopeless situations that are present in this room. Many of you right now are going through hopeless situations. How can we live in reflection of an ultimate sustainer in those places? My first one is a very, very easy thing for us to do. No, it's not, okay? <laughs> Worry less. Um, I'm a bit of a worrier. I don't know if you are, uh, but I worry about the dumbest things. Thankfully, I do have Jesus in my life, but thankfully I have a flesh and blood human being as well to help me worry less. And Michelle helps me worry less a lot. She's like, why are you even thinking or talking about that at this time, right? It makes no sense for you to worry about this thing. And we can all laugh and be like, ha Jimmy, you're, 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 you worry a lot. But there is kind of this sense that worry kind of breeds to more worry, Right? You've experienced this. Worry breeds more worrying. And it gets you to a place where you're spiraling. And just like when you're sitting at the airport wondering where your gate's going to change or all these things, all this chaos is around you, all of a sudden you're not thinking about anything else besides the thing that you're worrying about. What I think Jesus is calling us to, and this is why I always go back to this section, is to recognize the allness, right? For in him all things were created. Deep breath. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the things that I don't even know about. He is over all those things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. There has to be a sense of relief when you hear those words. It's not just about you. It's about something much, much greater that's being done in you, through you, if you allow Jesus to be that stirring factor within your life. Worry less. I know it's silly to say that because I know I'm going to leave here. I'm probably going to start worrying about stuff. But the more and more I think that you lean into this, the more and more you're going to see that it's more tangible and able to be done in your life. Worrying less. And this is the kind of caveat to that. If you're going to worry less... You have to surrender more. This is kind of, I hope, a word that's part of our MCOC kind of dialect, this word surrender. I hope this is like tattooed on your heart, honestly, because there is no form of discipleship that does not include surrendering to Jesus. Absolutely not. You cannot surrender just to yourself. Here's another step. You, you can worry less, but if you're just worrying less, that, 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 that's, that's not really enough. I think there has to be a surrender towards recognizing the power that you're able to access through Jesus, especially during hopeless situations. And I can't say that enough this morning. Surrendering during a hopeless situation is extremely difficult. I've talked about the metaphor um, going whitewater rafting. When you're in this chaotic place and you fall out of your boat sometimes, the instructor simply says, keep your nose up and keep your toes up and just float down the river with your rear end going forward. <laughs> There's a surrender to this higher power around you because he said, I can't swim right now. 
I can't stand up right now. There's a surrender to say, okay, whatever happens, happens. Thankfully, when we surrender to Jesus, we are surrendering to something greater than a river, right? We're surrendering to the allness of Jesus, the creator of all things that holds all things together. In your hopeless situation, he continues to hold all things together. Worry less, surrender more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us this morning to uh, dwell on your word, to be challenged uh, by your word. I hope that it was a challenge this morning uh, to be just submitting to you, surrendering to you, to worrying less, but to ultimately recognize that, God, even when I'm in my most hopeless situation, you are there. You're not causing it. You're not making me suffer for the sake of suffering, but we are in a broken world, and that's just reality. But thank God the reality is that we are not alone. The reality is that we are not doing it by ourselves. The reality is that you are still over all things when we have no hope. Help us to have hope in those places. Help us to recognize that hope for what it is. It's your love. Help us to strive towards that and the reconciliation factor that you yourself suffered so that when we suffer, we recognize that you are with us. To Jesus, let me pray. Amen. We do want to offer an invitation at this time that if you, you are suffering, that you are not alone. Yes, we recognize that, like we just talked about, there is a Jesus who is created before all things, and in, in him all things hold together, and that's a great, great thing to keep your hope in, but there's people here that also want to be in your life. There's people here that want to be a source of hope for you, that you are definitely not alone. And I recognize I can say this, people can say that to you, but it still doesn't take away this aloneness that you feel. Please offer that up, not just to Jesus, but to somebody else. You are absolutely not alone. If you have any physical needs, if you have any spiritual needs, if you're saying, you know what, I'm ready to surrender today, I want to be baptized right now. Sean was just getting the baptistry ready for stuff. It's always ready. If you want to get baptized and you want to surrender, we offer this time as well. But if you just need somebody to talk to, we offer that as well. We're going to stand and sing here in a moment, but if you want to come forward, this is the time to do it. Let's continue to worship.